the World Nomads podcast bonus episode. Hear amazing nomads sharing their knowledge, stories and experience of world travel. Thanks for tuning in, Kim and Phil with you and our amazing nomad, it's Glory Ali and she's with us to explore Muslim travel. Now, Glory, as you will hear, says the halal travel industry is growing at a rapid pace, Phil, with the travel industry generally taking notice now and making huge strides in appealing to the halal market. Glory runs Muslim Travel Rocks, which is the name we stole for the title of this episode. Thanks, Glory. It's a site that, among other things, shares Muslim family-friendly destinations with Muslim-friendly services and accommodation. Glory says you don't have to compromise your faith when you're exploring the world. So let's find out what inspired her to launch the site. So Muslim Travel Rocks is a blog that I created to encourage and motivate Muslims to travel the world. And, you know, some people ask me, well, why do Muslims need to be encouraged or inspired to travel the world? Um, And what I always say to them was Muslims, we have specific faith-based needs that need to be met so that we can travel and still follow our faith. And at the same time, it can be challenging when it comes to traveling. So I created this website in this space where Muslims can get information on where they can go, uh, any destinations they want to go to, where they pray, where they can um, have a good halal meal, and just enjoy Muslim-friendly activities at any destination. You know, it's possible to show up on a non-Muslim destination and be greeted with Muslim-friendly services and accommodations throughout the world. Is that increasing, do you think, Glory? Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> um, and I'll give you an example. So uh, Muslim travelers, you know, a lot of people ask, well, what's the difference between the Muslim travelers? And Muslim travels for the same reason as any other tourist. Um, more than 50% of the Muslim travelers travel with their families. They stay longer and spend more. Um, and there's also a rise of the solo female traveler, which is becoming very popular Muslim women have a strong influence when planning a trip. Uh, Muslim travelers are one of the largest visiting markets to the United States, but few brands market to them. Um, And just to give you an idea of how big this travel sector is, in 2016, it was estimated there was 121 million Muslim travelers that spent $145 billion. It's expected to grow to 156 million travelers spending $220 billion. So there's a real confidence then in that sector. Absolutely. And it's growing and a lot of uh, non-Muslim destinations are, you know, starting to market to Muslim travelers. You know, for those, uh, some of those reasons that I stated before where a lot of the families, uh, a lot of Muslims family travel within families. I'm not dumping this question on you because um, I I sent it to you earlier to consider, but I was recently contacted by an Indonesian woman who wanted to travel, but there was no precedent within her family. She's scared. She didn't know where to start. Um, I sent her a link to your uh, site, obviously, and she wants to be an inspiration to her children so that they can go off and see the world. And she wants to do it on her own, as as you said, um, solo women travel and solo Muslim female travel is on the rise. So what what advice would you offer her? Well, you know, this can be a little controversy in Islam, and I know some friends um, that I have will not travel without a husband or a brother because in Islam it said that you should not travel without a male guardian. However, you know, that was back in the time of, you know, Jesus and the prophets. And of course, you know, the women didn't work and they, the men was the, the main supporter of the household. So if anything happens, what, you know, who would support them? Um, but you know, that's all change. And it's, 
pretty safe now to travel anywhere that you want to go, but it's also within the family. So it's up to each individual. You know, luckily for me, you know, I tell my husband, hey, I'm going traveling over here. He's like, all right, just as long as I can contact you, we're good. There's no issues. Um, but I also do have um, younger friends in their 20s who want to travel and their parents give them a hard time because in Islam, women aren't supposed to travel by themselves. And they're like, mom, but you know, it's a new era. It's a new time. We can travel. We're safe. Um, so sometimes they'll come to me and ask me for advice. And usually my advice to them is, you know, let your parents know, tell them, this is what I'm going to do. Have a plan ahead of time. Make them feel comfortable. I'm going to be at this hotel or I'm going to be at this friend's house. I'm going to call you in such and such time um, and just make them feel comfortable. And the more comfortable they feel and see that you are a responsible young woman, then the less that they're going to hesitate. So there are lots of challenges. You've got to convince your family. You've got to be true to your faith. So what are some of the misconceptions both on part of Muslims and on the part of non-Muslims in the, in the travel industry? Yeah, so, um, so one of the things that, that we were talking about was women cannot travel alone, which is not true. A lot of women travel alone. I travel alone. I'm married, but I do a lot of solo traveling. Um, and it's like I was saying, it's just up to each individual person. So if you want to travel, if you're a woman, you want to travel with your children, I think it's a wonderful idea because I did the same with my children. I made sure that my kids went on vacations every year even if it was a road trip. And one of the major reasons why I did that is because to me, traveling allows children to learn much more than school can potentially offer them. And traveling abroad particularly helps improve positive character developments. And the individual identity as a child are able to immerse themselves in other cultures, unlike their familiar surroundings. So for the um, one of your audience members that you had mentioned before that wants to inspire her children, I would say my tips to her is, um, you know, travel with the kids, offer that firsthand opportunity for them to experience the different cultures and societies and foods. Maybe they can pick up a different language. Um, also, I would set them up with play dates um, with children from different backgrounds. Um, that's a good start. Even if you're just at home, set up different play dates with different children from different backgrounds. So then when you're able to travel to any, even if you travel within the United States, you know, the United States is huge. And even if you go to a different state, it's a, it's a different culture. Even, yep. you know, our languages is a little bit different. The view is different. You know, we can go to the desert, we can go to the beach, we can go to the mountains. It's, it's very diverse over here. So um, I would always say that, you know, you want to like set up play dates, interact with other children from different cultures, you know, give your children books that they can read regarding um, the cult- cultural books, right? Yeah. And I would also try different foods. I used to do that with my kids. I'd take them out to eat different foods and because I realized early on with my children that every time we went out, they wanted chicken nuggets and french fries. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I'm not taking you to this restaurant and you're going to have chicken nuggets and french fries. <laughs> I was like, just try this. They're like, mom, ill, that's green. I don't want to try. I'm like, no, no, no. Tell me you don't like it after you tasted it. So that's how they started tasting different foods. And now, you know, they love different varieties of food, which is great. So, you know, we all want our children to grow up in a world uh, free from bias and discriminations. And we want them to reach their dreams and feel that whatever they want to accomplish in life is possible. So we want them to feel loved and included and never experience the pain of rejection or exclusion. But the reality is that we do live in a world 
in which um, racism and other forms of bias continues to affect us. So discrimination hurts and leaves scars that can last a lifetime, affecting goals, ambitions, life choices, and feeling of self-worth. So, you know, how can we best prepare our children to meet their challenges and reap the benefits? An increasingly diverse world raise these children to celebrate the value of diversity and to be proud of their culture. So as the, the Muslim travel sector grows, and you're very excited about that, are you noticing that there is less kind of attitude toward Muslims as individuals? Yes, there is. And I'll tell you one thing. When, um, when I first started Travel Blog, I started it during the presidential election here in the United States. Um, I don't know if you're, you know about my my background story is when I started the travel blog, I actually wanted to do something because um, I realized that this whole election was trying to separate our, our nation. Um, and so I started the travel blog. I don't know what I can do. I want to do the travel blog, but I want to combat Islamophobia at the same time. So what I realized um, after the presidential election and the Muslim travel ban was that, you know, instead of our country being divided, which is what you hear in the news all the time, we actually came together. I mean, I have never been more proud to be an American as the day that we had our Muslim travel bans went into effect because everyone, didn't matter what race, so many people came out to the airport to support the Muslims that were in the air that were going to be sent back to another country that wasn't theirs. And so one of the challenges that I face myself is when I recently just came from Puerto Rico, I spent a week and a half in Puerto Rico, um, but I have to be very cautious. So when I travel, I always have my passport. I have to have my birth certificate. Not many people travel with their birth certificate, but I have to travel with my birth certificate to prove that I'm an American citizen because I don't know if I leave the country, if I'm going to be allowed to come back in. That but passport should be all you need. It should be, but it's, but it's not because during the travel ban, Trump was saying that, you, you know, they want any Muslims to go back to their country. And I kept saying, I am, I am an American. I was born just because I wear a headscarf doesn't mean that I'm from a different country. I am an American. And so the only way that I feel that I can prove something is if I have my birth certificate with me because my passport in this time doesn't really mean much. How would you like to see um, the travel sector grow? And, and why also, I know you mentioned why it's important for children, but why is it important for people to travel? Well, as I stated before, with the fact that the Muslim travel sector is growing and it's increasingly a lot, it's really, really growing. One of the things that I do on my blog is I encourage Muslims to travel to the United States because America is a Muslim-friendly country. And a lot of what I was hearing overseas was like, oh, we're not going to America. It's not friendly. And I'm like, no, no, no. Don't listen to the news. We're very friendly here. Um, so we want you to come here. We want you to visit our country. Um, and don't listen to what the media is saying you know, all the time. Now, as far as... The Muslim travel sector, um, a lot of countries um, are, non-Muslim countries are catering to the Muslim um, because they see that it's such a large, you know, we're talking about billions of dollars. So, you know, why wouldn't you want a part of that billion of dollars that the Muslims are going out and spending? Um, so some countries, um, uh, in Canada and Toronto, they're like a big um, 
hub for Muslim travelers and they cater. They have Muslim halal food, Muslim activities. They'll tell you where the mosques are out so that you can go, you know, see where the mosque is at and go pray. Now, another thing that some people, a lot of people don't know is that Italy is going to become the, the Muslim hub for travel. They're on their way. They are on their way. They're catering to a lot of Muslim travelers in Italy. Wow. So what are they doing specifically? The hotels um, in Italy and, and other places like New Zealand as well, they, um, as soon as a Muslim traveler comes in um, to their hotel, and they'll give them a list of where there is halal food, which is the food that we're you know, permitted to eat as well. We can also eat seafood or vegetarian food. And I also eat kosher food. So it doesn't really matter to me if it's halal or not halal as long as I have seafood. So that's one of the misconceptions as well is that, oh, if there's no halal food, Muslims aren't going to eat um, or go travel to a specific destination. And that's just a big myth. That's not true. We'll eat anywhere if there's food. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is that Muslims are incredibly diverse and span across the globe. So there's this misconception that Muslims are Arabic and that can't be further from the truth. So take me, for example, I don't know if you know, but I'm a Puerto Rican Muslim. And most people don't know that about me. And a lot of people assume um, that I'm Arabic because I wear the hijab, which is the Muslim headscarf. Um, the truth is, you know, I was born in the United States. My parents are from Puerto Rico. And I joke around with my friends when we're at, you know, different events. And I tell them, man, I feel like United Nations because we sit at a table with my friends and I have, you know, Guyanese friends, Egyptian friends, Mexican friends, Cuban friends, Somalian friends. And I'm like, wow, this is like the United Nations in here. This is awesome. (laughs) So we're very diverse. And like I was saying, one of those misconceptions is that Muslims are Arab and that cannot be further from the truth. Do you have a travel saying that you live by? Yes. Smile is an act of charity. And I will tell you why I always say this. Um, So one of my challenges um, that I deal with specifically as a Muslim is um, right maybe a day or two before I have to travel and I have to go to the airport to see a TSA, I'll start, my anxiety will start to kick in like, oh, I have to go to TSA, you know. As I stand in the TSA line, you know, those lines are long. um, Nobody looks at me. Most of the people will not look at me. They won't make direct eye contact. They'll look, they'll glance down, they'll take their phones out, they'll look at their phones, look at me, and they'll put their phones down. And there's a few people, not often, that will just stare at me and won't stop looking at me. So I'm very uncomfortable. I'm like, oh my God, please can this line just get any longer? Like, let me just get through TSA. Um, I don't mind going to the body scanner. I don't mind getting, you know being searched and them checking my hair. I don't mind any of that. It's really the stares or the pretending not to look that just makes me feel so uncomfortable. But that all changes as soon as I pass the TSA line. Once I get to the gate, everybody starts talking to me. And I have had more conversations wearing a headscarf than I've ever had when I didn't wear a headscarf. And it's just... I. I just want people to know that if just smile, it doesn't matter who it is, just that smile is considered an act of charity. And that would make me personally feel a little bit better than knowing that I have all these eyes on me for no particular reason. Like, what am I going to do? 
just because, you know, there's one bad apple in the group doesn't even mean that the whole bunch of apples is bad. Sorry that you have to go through that. That's not on, you know, really. It is. You know, unfortunately, Muslims are being profiled more today than in the past, you know. So one of my advice always is um, to other Muslims, is like, don't, don't get offended if you get singled out, especially if you look like a Muslim, you have a Muslim name. Just, you know, give yourself that extra time to go to security. Um, or you can opt out for a pat down instead of going through the body scanner. You know, and to the onlookers, a kind word or just a simple smile goes a long way. So very well said, Glory. And we went on to chat about other things and we both ended up very teary. It was quite emotional. And for those of you unfamiliar with TSA, it is a US government program that allows travellers deemed low risk by the Transportation Security Administration, or as we said, TSA, which is a US Department of Homeland Security Agency, to pass through an expedited security screening at certain U.S. airports. <laughs> the TSA. Not everybody's most favourite government agency, are they? No, no, not at all. <laughs> okay, look, and data from the Pew Research Centre shows that if current trends continue, Muslims will make up 26.4% of the world's, world's total projected population of 8.3 billion. In 2030, that's up from 23.4% of the estimated 2010 world population of 6 Point nine billion. There's a lot of us. So get amongst it. Any questions or to get in touch with your experiences, email podcast at worldnomads.com and there will be links and information on Muslim travel and to glory, obviously, in show notes. Now, next week, we return to our destination episodes in the African island nation of Sao Tome and Principe. Beautiful. Bye. Bye. Amazing nomads. Be inspired.